You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you or your patients struggle with muscle cramps, spasms, soreness, or restless leg syndrome, you're going to want to hear about our non-opioid TheraWorks Relief. TheraWorks Relief is a clinically proven and published locally acting topical solution that prevents and relieves muscle cramps, spasms, and soreness in the legs and feet. In a research study including patients diagnosed with restless leg syndrome, TheraWorks Relief was shown to reduce symptoms commonly associated with accompanying RLS, including muscle cramps and spasms. Muscle cramps are reported as a side effect of hundreds of prescription medications, from intravenous iron sucrose and conjugated estrogens to statins and diuretics. By managing muscle cramps, TheraWorks Relief supports adherence, helping patients stay on important and often life-saving medications. TheraWorks Relief comes in an easy-to-use, fast-absorbing, non-greasy foam that can prevent muscle cramps and spasms with just a few simple applications a day. To learn more about TheraWorks Relief, go to theraworksrelief.com and click on the Healthcare Professional link. Welcome to the Pharmacy Inspection Podcast, where we discuss topics related to sterile and non-sterile compounding pharmacy in an effort to promote compliance and increase quality. The Pharmacy Inspection Podcast is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, delivering quality and meaningful conversations and discussions about our pharmacy industry and the critical role pharmacists play in our healthcare systems. Learn more at PharmacyPodcast.com. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Prince and Seth DePasquale. This podcast is being brought to you by Encore Scientific. With over 70 years of combined experience, the Encore team is able to provide the highest quality chemicals, bases, equipment, and consulting services at the lowest possible cost to your pharmacy. Please visit them at EncoreSci.com. That's E-N-C-O-R-E-S-C-I.com or by phone at 800 800- Four five four two three zero four, and discover the benefits of a relationship with Encore Scientific. Once again, EncoreSci.com or call 800-454-2304. Mention this ad that you heard it on the Pharmacy Inspection Podcast and receive 20% off your next order. So today we have with us a pharmacist, Donnie Calhoun, who is the CEO of and executive director of the American College of Apothecaries. We first got in touch with Donnie at the ACA event in Florida a couple weeks ago. And we, uh, incidentally, we tried to record a podcast, but there was a lot of background noise. So we're, we're going to re-record it today. So Donnie, tell us a little bit about yourself and your start in pharmacy and then moreover into, you know, any, anything uh, you've done within compounding pharmacy and, and what led to you um, getting into ACA? Thanks, Seth. I'd be more than happy to. Uh, well, as you said, I'm a pharmacist. I also own a pharmacy in Anniston, Alabama. I started my career uh, graduating from uh, Sanford University 
way back in the good old days, uh, 1987, so I'm kind of dating myself there. Um, and I went into retail pharmacy right away. I worked for a regional chain uh, here in Alabama and uh, bought my first pharmacy in 1991. And over the years, I've owned a multitude of uh, different pharmacies in different locations. Um, I had home infusion company. I had DME locations. At one time, we had 68 employees, a home office, a warehouse, you know, I was a nursing home consultant. Um, uh, like I said, we did home infusion. I've done just about anything you can do uh, in pharmacy. In, uh, in 2012, we decided to go into wellness pharmacy. So we sold our last retail pharmacy and opened up a, um, a compounding uh, clinical community pharmacy practice. Um, I've been doing compounding since 1992. If you think back uh, what I just said, I bought my first pharmacy in 91, so a year later I started compounding. And we did it based on patient need. We had a doctor call up with a problem. A uh, patient uh, had a, 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 a physician had a patient that had a problem pregnancy and um, had a couple of miscarriages. And uh, lo and behold, we did progesterone suppositories, and her little girl is 30-something years old now. So uh, very great outcome, and we went from there. And, you know, everything that we've done in compounding has always been based on patient need. But, um, you know, um, during the course of owning all these pharmacies, you know, got involved in pharmacy politics uh, and got involved in advocacy for our profession, especially for independent owners. You know, we were facing a lot of issues over those years, PBMs being the number one. So I got involved with our state association from our state association, NCPA, uh, became NCPA president 2012 through 2013. And during that time, I also served on the State Board of Pharmacy in Alabama for about five years. So uh, I've been really engaged in our profession Ever since I graduated, uh, I had a pharmacy professor that said, you know, no one really cares about uh, pharmacists except pharmacists. And if you don't fight for your profession, nobody else will. So I took that home, and um, I've been practicing that ever since. I got involved with ACA. Basically, uh, I guess um, uh, the former executive director, uh, Dr. Ed Hesterly, uh, retired, and they had a nationwide search, and I had a friend to suggest I apply for it because he knew my passion for pharmacy and our profession and what we do each and every day. And lo and behold, I never thought they'd offer me the position, but they did. And um, uh, I've really uh, uh, enjoyed um, uh, doing the job for ACA. And uh, this I've been on the job almost two years now, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's a, it's a great opportunity uh, you know, for me to get out there and work full time for the profession and trying to make a difference in in pharmacy owners and pharmacists' lives across the country. You know, my favorite part of the podcast series is when we always start off and we get to hear the history of our, of our guests and and the experience that they bring to the table because it, I think it for for me it, it just I love hearing the interesting stories. Uh, so where we want to steer this conversation is, is more towards education. And one of the reoccurring themes, Donnie, that we have had in weeks past over and over is that of education. And education is being a driver mm -hmm. uh, in our in our compounding industry. Um, and, and even uh, when we were listening to the to the guest panel at the ACA conference there in Ponte Vedra, that 
recurring theme kept coming up over and over as well. So tell us, what are your thoughts on education as being a major driver for the future of this business? And, and then also, I guess, tell us how the ACA can help contribute to that as well. Thanks, Brian. You know, um, education has been a big part of, of my life. You know, um, I graduated from college uh, with a degree in biology, went back to pharmacy school, started a PharmD program, um, and, uh, you know, so I've done a lot of things in education. You know, in our industry, when you look at, at what's happening uh, across the board in pharmacy today, you know, it's all about quality. It's, um, you know, it's all about, you know, making sure that um, people that are compounding are qualified, whether it be the facility, whether you're accredited or not, and the person. I think as you see consolidation in the marketplace of the chain pharmacies, we've all seen that, right? Uh, you know, the latest acquisition, Albertsons buying the Rite Aid stores, and of course with uh, PBMs, uh, you know, you seeing, uh, I think, Caremark buying uh, Aetna. So there's a lot of consolidation going in, and why is that? It's all about, I think, um, the quality and to be able to to say we we've got some of the best programs out there, and we we want to make sure that the things we're doing meet a high standard. And of course, we all know that when we get those contracts that say we want you to be credentialed, tell us what those are. You know, I just don't see us continuing to go forward with regulators with all the things coming down from USP, from um, you know FDA, and from the government boards of pharmacy and others, that we're going to be able to just practice with a pharmacy degree. You know, I'm a RPH. You know, I mentioned that, you know, I went back to school for PharmD and gives you an extra year clinical practice. And you're starting to see that in, in, the, in the marketplace now where there are networks being formed for clinical services in the community setting. More and more pharmacists are working in clinical services in hospitals, in physician practices across the country. So education is going to become more and more and more important if you want to move ahead as a pharmacist. And uh, I do believe getting those extra credentials is really going to, to set people apart in our profession. One of the things that was really stressed to me early in my career was continuous professional development where you should always be striving to better yourself day in and day out, you know, with what you do each and every day. You know, if you were a carpenter, you can be a basic apprentice. You can be a level one carpenter, but it takes you years to become a master carpenter. Well, you've got to think about pharmacists the same way. Get out of pharmacy school. You're really not an apprentice, but you are a beginner. But it takes you a long time to become that master pharmacist. So I think as we're going to have more and more pressure put on our profession by the regulators and by the government and by payers and also by patients, patients are going to start demanding that the care they receive are from the very best providers that are out there. And and that needs to be, you know, our our people. That needs to be pharmacists who want to be that master pharmacist and get those credentials that they need. The ACA has been around since 1940. ACA is a best practice organization. When it was started, it was started with four basic fundamentals. Education, training, 
entrepreneurism, and mentoring. And the reason for that is you can get all the training in the world, all the education in the world, but if you don't have a mentor, it's probably not going to help you a whole lot. And if you don't have a little entrepreneurial spirit, it's not going to help you a whole lot either. So you've got to have those four core tenets to be that master pharmacist. And that's what ACA was started about uh, in 1940, is for uh, an organization to help pharmacists have the very best practice that they could have. And if they have the best practice, odds are they're going to be very, very successful people. And we've seen that over the years with a lot of our members. Um, ACA is, I think, especially suited to to help pharmacists with that postgraduate education. The, you know, once pharmacy school's over, where do you get training in compounding? You know, where do you you get training in clinical services? How do you learn how to take people off uh, proton pump inhibitors? ACA is where you can get that. Uh, ACA, we work with. Um, college professors, pharmacy school professors, we work with clinicians, we work um, you know, with, uh, with pharmacists who have years and years and years of experience who are those master pharmacists to share their experiences and help people learn how to create new programs to help them increase their ROI and their bottom line. So I think ACA is perfectly suited uh, you know, to help people you know, with what's coming down the pipe in education for pharmacy. Donnie, where do you see the field of compounding going with all of the, like you mentioned, you know, regulations and FDA involvement and more and more? Um, and and not only that, not only where you where you see that going, but you just mentioned a whole bunch of things that that ACA does in terms of education. You know, how do you see ACA positioned to? bring compounding pharmacy to the next uh, level or maybe the the next five years of what's to come. Um, where, first of all, where do you see that going and, and how is AP, ACA positioned to, uh, to assist with that? Thanks, Seth. That's a great question. So, you know, we all wish we had a crystal ball, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, um, but just trying to, to read between the lines with what we're seeing coming out of USP, got a lot of great people that volunteer to work for USP and, and try to do the right thing to make our practice the best it can be. But one of the things we all have to remember is USP guidelines and standards are minimum. You know, think about that for a minute. Minimum standards, and most of us in the profession fuss about them, how strenuous they are and how hard they are to comply with. Well, you know, I, I, I don't think they're going to get any easier. In this age of technology, you know, with uh, smartphone technology, computer technology, robotics, everything else that's out there, I think the demand on, on humans, pharmacists and healthcare providers in particular, is going to just grow and grow and grow. Uh, FDA, of course, with compounding, is going to create new programs. I believe they released guidance documents uh, for smaller pharmacies to encourage them to come to become 503B providers. So we're going to continue to see scrutiny on the compounding uh, side of the pharmacy practice. For me, compounding has always been the art of pharmacy. That's where pharmacy came from. You know, 5,000 years ago, uh, the apothecary was the, the village healer. And from that apothecary, you got physicians, podiatrists, dentists, pharmacists. You got everybody out of that one person who was the apothecary back in back in the day. 
Well, now governments dictate what that person and those persons can do to help patients. So we all have to be prepared for that. We can't wait and be reactive. We all need to be more and more proactive. So I don't think the the rules are going to get any easier for compounders. And one of the reasons for that is, as I said earlier, USP is the minimum standards. State boards of pharmacy who give us our licenses and our permits to own pharmacies, you know, they're going to require more and more documentation of proof that you are qualified to do the things you want to do. For instance, in Massachusetts, they're requiring pharmacies that do veterinary compounding to prove they've had veterinary compounding training. So I can see that spreading all over the country. If you do pediatric compounding, show us your proof that you're qualified to do pediatric compounding. And no, your diploma from your college of pharmacy is not good enough anymore. So I can see those kind of things coming down the pipe. So for ACA, I think we're perfectly suited for that. I like to tell people I want to peek around the corner as to what's coming down the road. I don't want to stick my head out because, you know, you stick your head out sometimes you can get hit, you know. So I don't want to do that. I just want to peek really quick and stick my head back um, so that we can try to kind of gain an insight as to what we believe the future is going to hold so that we can start preparing to come out with programs that can help people, uh, I guess, um, be ready for those regulations and for those new standards and help them prepare for that future that we see coming. And we do that by a variety of ways. As I mentioned earlier, we've got lots and lots of different instructors that uh, we work with day in and day out to come up with these programs. But we also attend a lot of meetings. We listen to a lot of webinars and podcasts, and we read a lot to try to find out what the future might hold. So ACA is one of the organizations, it's one of the few organizations you know, that really and truly dedicates most of its time just to education and training. You know, we don't do really advocacy. We support our sister organizations like NCPA and IECP and APHA and others who champion, you know, on on Capitol Hill with Congress and in the state legislatures for laws and regulations that can benefit our members and community pharmacy in general. But we leave that to others to do. And so we primarily try to focus on ways to help the pharmacy and the pharmacist improve the return on their investment. So that investment could be their pharmacy. It could be their education. We want them to have the best possible practice they could have. And, and that's why I think ACA is the organization best suited you know, for community pharmacy in that area. So just thinking about technicians, to me, those are the those are the people on the front line. Those are the people that are, you know, knee deep into the process, into the powder, into the clean rooms. They're they're the people that are there. Is there any does the state board not have any current regulations? And I guess it would be almost state to state that says, listen, if you've got a technician that is operating at this level, whatever level that is, that they have to be a CPHT. And then on top of that, to be a CPHT, you also have to have so many continuing education credits. See, I don't know that part of the business, uh, but I'm just kind of curious. What, what, what is there anything that keeps the the, the brand new one week technician from being any different than the one year or 10 year technician? Because I remember it was probably, I don't know, so many episodes ago, Bill Mixon made a comment that. The, the pharmacist in the clean room who's been there for one week, there's no distinction between one that's been there for 10 years. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, if we don't have these distinctions, whether they're pharmacists or whether they're technicians, what is it truly that 
that that that we're that we're looking at right now from an education standpoint. Brian, that's that's a great observation, you know, and I've had that same observation. So I'll just give you a couple of of um, outtakes on that. I guess one is PTCB uh, attended a symposium that PTCP uh, Pharmacy Technician Certification Board uh, had in Dallas last year. Um, PTCB is doing everything they can to try and raise the requirements for technicians uh, to be certified in every state. And as you mentioned, laws and regulations vary from state to state because it's the State Board of Pharmacy that gives us our our license and our permission to practice in their state. So it all has to be driven from a board level. Some boards of pharmacy require technicians to go the extra mile uh, to take some type of education, to take some kind of training, pass an exam to prove that they're capable uh, of doing certain things. Idaho, for instance, has a level two technician. Level two technicians in Idaho can take oral prescriptions over the telephone. You can't do that in Alabama. And Idaho, if they go through this training program that's approved by the Idaho board, technicians in Idaho can do that. So there's a lot of, of things going on in states right now with technicians. Some states don't even register technicians. It's up to the pharmacy. The state board says we register the pharmacist and the, tech, and the, and the facility, and it's the pharmacist's responsibility for everything that happens in there, so they're responsible for the tech, so we're not going to register them. And there are a couple of states out there that are like that. So you have a lot of different laws. A lot of different states require different things. But I do believe that eventually technicians are going to rise up to the point where they're going to have to have additional training to do certain things, whether it be work in a, um, a radio pharmacy, you know, someone that does nuclear medicine, whether they work in a compounding pharmacy, a veterinary pharmacy, wherever they might work, they're going to have to have specialized training. Technicians already have specialized training in most cases. You know, if you work in a veterinary pharmacy, your technicians are going to be pretty much trained on veterinary pharmacy. They just are not going to have a certificate that says they've had that training. So I think that's another place that ACA really fits in. We do some of those some of those type trainings, and we're working on plans now to come out with some accreditation standards for pharmacists and technicians in the future, so that you can have a a, a different uh, distinction with your license to say I've gone through this process. And now I've taken a national exam. I've been accredited to be able to do this. Um, there is the Board of Pharmacy Specialties that's out there that offers eight different um, board specialty programs for pharmacists to take. Uh, probably 95% of the pharmacists that have completed those programs work in hospital settings. Uh, they don't have a lot of programs currently for community pharmacy. But I do believe that having that extra credential is probably going to be required somewhere down the line. As you mentioned, uh, you know, Bill said that there's no difference between a guy at a school for one year and a guy that's been doing it for 30 years. There's going to have to be a distinction somewhere in there about the training. And I think more and more boards are going to be looking at that and looking at what your credentials are. And um, I think Massachusetts, as I mentioned earlier, is probably one of the first states to start requiring that. I just think we're going to see more and more states uh, coming in to require that. Um, 
you know. And but the problem is, is you've got these people that have been doing it for 20 years. It's going to be hard for them to go back and go through school all over again. That's always been the big hang-up whenever there's a big, um, you know, mind shift in the profession when you go from one type of training to another. You know, there's there's been that big gap. Well, you grandfather everybody in? Do you not grandfather everybody in? And if you think back a little bit, that's what happened when we went from the BS pharmacy degree to the PharmD pharmacy degree. Such, you know, similar type thing is happening now, I believe, when it comes to technicians and, and also to pharmacists. Because, um, you know, just because you graduated pharmacy school doesn't mean that you're a veterinary pharmacist. I mean, you've got to go through a lot of extra training to get that expertise to be able to take care of animals. Donnie, in, in, in wrapping all of this up in one pretty bow, do you have any final advice for our listeners or anything that you just want to share that we haven't necessarily asked you about? Gosh, your podcast probably not long enough for that. <laughs> one of the things that um, I, I guess I'll say is that, you know, pharmacists and technicians, if you're going to be involved in this profession, you need to have a continuous professional development program for yourself. You know, what do you want to achieve? You know, do you think about what you do each and every day as a profession, or do you think of it as just a job? I mean, and, and I've met pharmacists who think that what we do is just a job, believe it or not. I've got technicians that think what they do is just a job. But for me, any time you make a difference in a patient's life, then that's a profession. You know, it's more than just a job. And we have an obligation to take care of those people that come in our doors each and every day. You know, that's why we're pharmacists. That's why we're technicians, because we want to help people. So, you know, for me, I, I think what I'd like to say is, you know, don't give up on your training. Don't give up on your education. You know, take that webinar. You know, take that home study program. Go to a meeting. Meet new people that are involved in your profession that may be doing things that you're doing, maybe doing things you're not doing. You know, we learn by communicating, and we learn from others. Remember I mentioned the master carpenter and the apprentice? Hey, you know, if you're out of school for a year, find a master carpenter so you can apprentice with them for a little bit. Find a mentor that you can call and ask questions. That would be the advice I'd give anybody. You're never too old to learn. I mean, look at me. I learn something new every day. And when people ask me, well, you know, don't you get tired of doing that? I'm going, look, if you're not learning something every day, then what are you getting up for? You know, we learn something whether we want to or not each and every day. And so why not learn something that uh, you can you, you can you put to use in helping people? So that's that's what I like to leave with. That's great advice. It's, <laughs> you know, just to, to go off on that a, a little bit, you know, the thing is that I didn't really start out in compounding as a pharmacist and, you know, I had to find my way into it. And, and you're right. You know, even myself along the way, I, I did see myself uh, in jobs rather than uh, as a, as a professional and, and, you know, some, some better than others, you know, <laughs> but um, at this point, you know, I've refocused and, and I think a lot of that stuff kind of comes in, in, in waves, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you might be in what you kind of think it is a job, but the difference there, and you, and you touched on this really well is, is that continuing, uh, continual learning throughout your career. Um, and I, I think that's what really has honed it in 
for me and, and locked it in on compounding. So yeah, that's great advice. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Absolutely. You, I, I will echo Seth's sentiment there. And it's funny because I think we're going to have to get a new banner printed up, but our, our official motto of this, it, it is typically like raising the bar, but it's really, you don't know what you don't know. And the only way right. that we're going to know is to, when we get together at these conferences and we get to talk back and forth, we get to collaborate. Uh, the, some of the conversations, see, I'm an outsider in this business. And so I'm always learning something new. And even when people, Brian is an expert. I'm like, no, no, no. You were an expert. I am a lifelong student. I am yep. continuously dumping information into my mind, into my brain, because I'm always trying to play catch up or make sure that I'm bringing value to this industry. So I love the fact that you said, you know what, we, we've got to learn something new every single day that uh, that resonates in my heart. So Donnie, again, we appreciate you joining us on the pharmacy inspection podcast. We hope to have you again sometime in the near future. Uh, but again, I guess, Hey, we'll probably see you at uh, compounders on Capitol Hill. in, a, in about Absolutely. Time. Looking forward to that. And again, thank you, Seth. Thank you, Brian, both for having me as a guest and uh, letting me talk a little bit about the profession and especially ACA. It's a great organization for anyone out there. Give us a look. Uh, it's, uh, ACAinfo.org. You know, we're there to help, you know, so give us a ring and, and, uh, let us see what we can do for you. And now a special thanks is extended from Seth and I to Encore Scientific for sponsoring the podcast series that was recorded at the ACA's annual conference. Encore Scientific is a manufacturer and distributor of high-quality, compendial-grade raw ingredients, buffers, solutions, lab equipment, lab supplies, and ready-made topical bases to lots of industries that include the pharmacy, cannabis, R&D lab, nutraceutical, and personal care markets. Discover how a relationship with Encore Scientific can make your life and company more successful and less stressful by visiting EncoreSci.com. That's E-N-C-O-R-E-S-C-I dot com or calling them direct at 1-800-454-2304. And as well, I'd like to extend a special thanks out to you, to all of our listeners who join us week after week. Thank you so much. And until next week, Keep raising the bar.